Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Cynthia Boatwright Raleigh, who is a lover of history, genealogy, and the paranormal. Cynthia writes genealogy mysteries and historical fiction with the goals of creating stories that are entertaining as well as bringing the past to life and speaking for those who no longer can. We have so much to explore and talk about today, Cynthia. So let's get right into this and welcome. Thank you, Summer. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Before we dive into your professional background and different aspects of your life, can you describe your journey thus far in one word? I think it's been eye-opening because... When I started, when I switched careers and then I started in on the writing portion, I knew I wanted to explore genealogy and history are two of my main interests. And I wanted to combine those things and write about those things. But the more that I wrote, the more I found out that there is to find out, if that makes sense. And it has opened so many other doors, windows, avenues for me to explore and to meet new people and just find new ways to share information and new ways to learn about the past. It's just, there's just so much more out there than I thought. So really it's inspiring. It's been eye-opening. I love that. Oh my goodness. That's the first time I've heard that. And I like your why. So let's get into the next question about your personal journey and how your journey contributed to your passion for writing and the genre of writing that you love. So let's talk about that evolution of your professional journey, going from knowing your background, you were a nurse for several years. So tell us more about that and how you took that turn into writing. Well, I worked for several years at different jobs, you know, when I was younger in my twenties, and then I finally realized if I want to really have a career and I want to get ahead, I need to do something else because I had not gone to college right out of high school. So I went back to college in my thirties, early thirties and got a nursing degree. And then I, I did work as a nurse for 25 years. And, and that in itself provides you with a lot of background experience and information, but it also teaches you, I was pretty shy, introverted. You can't be in that field. And it does teach you how to learn to talk to people and learn to ask questions. And I think that has helped me in writing because I am not so reluctant to converse with someone that I don't know in a situation, whether you're on a bus or at waiting in line somewhere and to ask questions, to learn how to ask them that you get information without them feeling like you're prying or you know, being nosy, but it's a good way to learn about people. And so I took that from nursing, you know, along with everything else, just the experiences of the people that I worked with. But at one point then uh, for my husband's work, we moved to another state. 
So I was very fortunate in that I was then given the option that if I wanted to re- retire from the nursing field and try to, to go into writing, which I'd always wanted to do, I've always been an avid reader my whole life. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. I have to do it. And so when we moved, I did not try to go back in to, you know, uh, establish in the nursing field here where we live now and started writing. And I have not looked back. I enjoy it so much. And I've written six books and I do write in different genres, but I find that that helps me to focus on one and then focus on another. But I really, really love gathering stories and putting them into mysteries. Mm-hmm. I love that and how your journey, both personally and professionally, evolved. And I love that you said how you tap into really calling out from humans the information. And you're absolutely right. Working in the medical industry, you're always assessing. You're always trying to find out. And it's not Snoopy. You have to know these things. You have to know about human functioning. And you begin to realize and recognize personalities, factors Mm -hmm. of human functioning, what drives somebody, what people are passionate about, just by observation and the questions. So I'm sure as a writer, you've learned a lot of that and can apply a lot of that to your books today. So... A lot of what I do like to ask people, especially it is an older person, Mm -hmm. because I do love history and I love family history, not just my family, but anybody's history. There are things that people who are older remember that we don't know. And so if I have a chance, I want to learn about that because that gives authenticity to what I do write. It's fiction, but I want it to be historically accurate fiction in ways. Like if I have... In the one series I have, uh, it takes place in 1660 in the American colonies. So I want that to, you know, I don't want to have an anachronism stuck in there where, it, you know, it w- turns into a fantasy world. Right. So I want it accurate. And then with the his, um, genealogy mysteries, a lot of that reflects history that took place in the last 100 years. So some of these people are going to remember things that you're not going to find in a history book. Mm-hmm. family life, ordinary life. So I love to get that kind of information. Oh my goodness. What an interesting profession and passion. So let's talk a bit about writing historical fiction and really delving into the genealogy. Can you speak to how one's family's legacy can impact the next generation's future within a family or society? How does that happen or how does that work? Or, you know, what have you found in relation to these family dynamics and they ooze into the next generation? Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of ways. I mean, and both um, beneficial and not so beneficial ways. Uh A family that has long been aware of their past and their lineage, say, may pass that knowledge down and that more like an awareness of who this family is and where they came from. Some people grow up knowing that. Some people don't. Some people grow up and they really don't know much at all about their family. 
but they may be curious. And sometimes the reason you don't know anything may be something that happened in the past that the family doesn't really want to be talked about. Um, and that happens a lot more than you think. So the the people who feel like, oh, my family's terrible, this happened, I must be a bad person, or you know, that's an extreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, if if you go back in almost anybody's line, there's something. There's something. Absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, just so that can affect a person's curiosity or their self-esteem. It could affect their willingness and desire to know about their family. I mean, it can really, and and if there's something in your family that is encouraging and you don't know it, you may not receive the encouragement within yourself to like, you know, maybe I should try to do that. There, there are things you can see that other people could do a lot with very little at times. And, and that's encouraging for some people to get started. So I think it's good to know about your past. It's good to know who our ancestors are and where we came from, good or bad, because you can use all of that to better your own life, no matter what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Because we talk a lot about that historical trauma, per se, you know, and we don't talk about the inspiration maybe we get from also our historical past. Mm -hmm. So I love that you mentioned that. From both perspectives, there's that trauma, but the, there's also the inspiration you can gain and take that with you along your path or your journey. You wrote about, as an example, a family with Dr. Dale. Mm-hmm. And that was a story. That was legacy. That was, yikes, maybe that's not the legacy you want. Maybe that's not, <laughs> that lends to a lot of historical Trauma. Tell us about that story because that has a lot of twists and turns and is a little scary. Well, my dad was born in El Dorado, Illinois, which is in a, the whole Southern swath of Southern Illinois is called Little Egypt. And I mean, there's a whole story behind that, but it is mostly rural. It's beautiful areas. It has Shawnee National Park. It has all these really great areas for recreation, but it does have many, many, many small towns. And a lot of times, I mean, it can happen anywhere, but in this particular small town, there was a man who was a doctor. His name was Dale Cavaness. And he was very well liked. And my, when my grandmother died, my grandfather married again. So I had a step grandmother and she went to him. He was her doctor and she just loved him. Dr. Dale, everybody called him, you know, his first name. Well, this it's a long story and there are books written about it, but he was kind of a dual personality. I mean, he was a fantastic doctor. He took his time with his patients. He was great. But on the other hand, he was not so great with his family. Uh, He drank a lot. He had gambling habits. He had a lot of things that people didn't know about. And at one point, one of his sons was shot and killed on their property, some rural property they had. And, Nobody figured that out or what happened. But then several years later, another son was killed. But this time it was discovered that it was him, that he had killed his own son for the insurance money. And so he was arrested. But see, this was in St. Louis. He there was probably one of his biggest mistakes was that he wasn't in his home area. 
So they arrested him and he, he was convicted. And then it, they went back and um, investigated the first son. And that was also him. But the presentation that someone has can really, really affect. And this is why some people move venues and trials because the people of El Dorado just wouldn't believe that he had done it. No, he would not do that. He would never do that. And so he felt a little bulletproof, you know? Yeah. Uh, but he was not tried there. He was tried in St. Louis. So he was convicted and he actually completed suicide just a few days after he was going to prison. Oh my goodness. That is the family trauma that you don't want. And they had four sons and I think only the youngest one now survives. One of the other ones died from a heart problem, but that has to be a humongous shadow on their name. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting you use the word or the phrase dual personalities. And in my clinical profession, actually, that would be a personality called antisocial personality, where you present a certain way in front of people, but behind the scenes, there's other things happening. Okay. And so you've got this fantastic persona. And people Mm -hmm. love you like they love Dr. Dale, but behind the scenes, like you're taking advantage of people, you're hurting people, you're doing things that people wouldn't ever imagine you'd be doing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is not the antisocial personality. We think, oh, that person's not social or they don't talk to people. No, 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 no. It's very different clinically. And so Mm -hmm. it looked like Dr. Dale was presenting that way. How interesting. And many times people who are diagnosed with something like that, like antisocial personality, people think they're wonderful. Like Ted Bundy, like they thought he was wonderful or he was a professional or that he was, but then behind the scenes, he was only doing all these horrific things. Mm -hmm. So yes. So it's just, your stories are really interesting and they dive deep into history. You write in that genre. Tell us a bit more about the titles of your book and the different genres that you write in. Well, the first series, the one that I started with is the Genealogy Mystery Series. And I'm working on the fourth book. There are three mm-hmm. in that series. And they're all, uh, my protagonist is Perry Seymour. She is a traveling nurse and who likes to dabble in a little bit of uh, amateur sleuthing in, with the genealogy. <laughs> Wait, I, I need to break in here. You're writing from the perspective of what you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and nurse most, who writes. Right, that's right. And gets herself in all kinds of situations, which I also know quite a bit about. <laughs> that's great. Those books are Poison Branches, Buried Roots, and Drawing on the Past. And the other series that I write is the one that takes place in the colonial America in Connecticut in 1660. And it's a supernatural uh, historic fiction, and it's called The Lantern Ordinary Witches. And I've also always been fascinated with the Salem Witch Trial and the way that 
witch hunts could sweep through countries and just absorb everything and how people were so wrongfully arrested and executed. It's always fascinated me. Like, how could that happen? You know, how would people that happen? So I thought, okay, I want to write about that because what if, just what if a woman that they decide to arrest actually is what they accuse her of? Would you be able to arrest her? Would you be able to execute her? If she really could do all the things that you're saying she can do, then you won't be able to do that. So that's what the premise of this series is. Interesting. However, let me throw something in there. Yes, what if she could do all of those things, but based on maybe the values of the community, they see those things as wicked. Absolutely. And I did address that in the first book because you can't just, she couldn't just stand up and say, I'm really a witch. You can't do this to me. So she tried to hide it at first, even though they have arrested her, she's trying to, how, how am I going to get out of this without, and then it turns out that, well, there is no way. So you have to reveal yourself and I'm not going to say too much more than that, but at the end of the book, I have to address what now, because what are the villagers going to do? Well, knowing the history of the early colonies at that time, they needed each other. Every person needed every other person to survive. You, Yeah. Okay. So she runs an ordinary, which is like an inn, like a okay. tavern with a few rooms that you could rent to sleep in which is what they were called in that time period. Yeah. Okay. So she's like the only place in town. Wow. She's also the herbal woman, the healer, the midwife, the cunning woman for the village. Do you want to get rid of that? So some people are like, I don't care what you are. (laughs) I'm just going to ignore it. (laughs) Yeah. Some people are not okay with it, but they know we can't just kick her out. We're not going to have anybody to provide medications. We're not going to have anyone to deliver children. We're not going to have anybody to, you know, serve a nice lunch. Uh, if we go out and get it, we, you know, we have to think of ourselves here too. So the village is, is kind of collectively tolerating it as long as it's not overt. And, and so I'm trying to, cause I, I can't, you know, I didn't feel like it would be accurate in any way for a whole village to go, that's cool. That's fine. You know, we're okay with it. Right. But on the other hand, historically, women who were accused of witches, but who were acquitted for whatever reason, they were not necessarily banished. Mm-hmm. They went back to their life. So whether they were curmudgeonly or, or not, a lot of times they were allowed to still exist within the village. So that's the route that I went. I love that because you talk about survival needing each other, why they would let as a community, somebody stay there, not Mm -hmm. necessarily convict them. This person had a skill set, such as being the, the nurse or the medicinal person or somebody who could actually save a life or birth a life. So there was a need for this person. And that's interesting because I don't think I've ever thought of that perspective especially when it came to those witch trials, like, wow, would they keep that person around? 
because of the need of survival per se, or the convenience of having that person around. So she serves our meals, right? So that is an interesting take and something I never even thought of. How cool. I love the whole idea of these books. Uh, These two books, the first one is Summoning the Winds. Okay. And the second one is Sister of Wales. And that's not like the ocean going whales. That's like the country. (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So again, we are tapping into the history and then bringing that history forward and and seeing how that has evolved. And then you also have a a true crime book as well. Yes. And I will be doing another true crime book at some point, but right now it's the only one. And it's called The Kneeling Corpse Murders, uh, Leslie Mad Dog Irvin. And this is the story of a serial killer from the mid fifties who was in the town where I grew up. And um, so I heard about him growing up and I talked to people who remembered him very well. I have talked to people who were related to him. He had a lot of siblings. He was the only one who did this kind of thing, but just so many of the places that he went and committed the murders and where he ate, you know, I knew those places growing up. I, we went to some of those places. So it just seems so personal. So interesting and familiar that I really wanted to learn about him. And it turns out that his trial actually ended up changing the course of journalistic reporting on crime because it went all the way to the United States Supreme court because he was so badly tried in the media before his trial and some of the laws were changed. And this is where always having to say allegedly initiated. Ah, interesting. Now that book and the concept of that book, the kneeling corpse murders, Leslie Mad Dog Irwin. When we've talked about this before, it, it really hit a nerve with me and like kind of resonated in a unique way because growing up in the seventies in Santa Cruz, California, it was considered the murder capital of the world at that point. (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) And and we have multiple serial killers in that small city. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh. So when you wrote this, I thought, oh my goodness, I understand that because it's a beautiful city. Coastline is gorgeous. It's fantastic. But growing up, knowing that there were people like that around and it actually impacting one of my classmates, his mom was murdered by one of these people that it was scary. Yeah. It was very scary as a child. You know, yes, that young and somebody is actually killed by that. Yeah, that would be frightening. Yes. And, and, and the way that it happened and it was very close to our homes. So yes, it was scary. So when you were talking about this, I thought, oh my gosh, that tapped me right back into my childhood of a little bit of that fear, but yet still being in a beautiful place, but yet still having, you know, a friend that lost his own mom because mm-hmm as a result of, you know, somebody killing her. So yeah, your books are so interesting and the different series are interesting. The witch series, the crime series, the Perry Seymour series. I am just blown away by what you do 
how you do it, how you bring yourself into it and perspectives or your history and your evolution, your professional evolution of being a nurse and your ability to question, call out from people, find out, research about the history, all that and bring it together into many different book series. So I love how you've applied that, the evolution of your personal and professional journey. So my last question for you, Cynthia, is if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom today, what would they be? I think it would be listen to your own heart and desires. If you can do something that you really want to do, try it and don't worry about your age. Don't worry. I mean, I was 55 when I wrote the first book. So awesome. you can always stop if you don't like it or you don't think it's working, but whether it's writing or it's skating or just learning about your family tree, do it, start it. If you don't like it, you don't have to keep doing it, but at least give yourself the opportunity to find out if it's going to be something that you wake up in the morning and go, wow, I can't wait to do something, to find out something, because that is what we all thrive on is that curiosity and learning about things that you love. So give it a try. Great words of wisdom. Thank you, Cynthia, for joining me on the Coral Women podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Summer. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You can follow Cynthia Boatwright Raleigh on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and check out her books on Amazon. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women Podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great. Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love & Money Collective, a core women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.